today I want to talk to you about bread and problems. Bread and problems. We all have them. And we get programmed, I think, just through life and our upbringing and, you know, what we see on social media and TV. But it almost seems like we're programmed to believe if I had enough bread, I wouldn't have any problems, right? If I had enough supply, if I had enough money, I wouldn't have any problems. Or, And, and I want to tell you this morning as we get started, that's not true. Right? If you're thinking all you need is some more money and you wouldn't have any more problems, then that's not true. Because when you get more money, you're just going to have more problems and more friends. Not real friends, though. But you're going to have more problems. Or what about this? If I had, I've heard a former boss say this. If I had more employees, I wouldn't have to work so hard. That's not true. Your work might look different. But it's probably going to be harder. Right? I mean, the more employees you have, the more problems you have. In fact, more people equals more problems. You need to know that. Right? Like, so as long as you're around people, there's going to be problems. Man, we talked about this last week too. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have problems. And even if you get everybody away and it's just you, there's still problems because you're there. <laughs> you got them too. So don't just think, oh, well, people are problems. I'm going to get away from everybody. Well, you're still going to have problems because you're there. You can't get away from yourself. So why would I need more employees if it doesn't take away my workload or it doesn't help with the problems? Like why would I need more bread or supply or there's all different ways we could say it if it doesn't take away the problems or make life easier. No, it doesn't take away the problems. It doesn't make things easier, but you can get more done. You can have greater impact. See, the things you can do are more. God always calls us to people. God all, it always has to do with people. God never calls any of us to go sit alone on top of a mountain. If you are following your purpose and the call that God has on your life and doing what we're instructed to do in Scripture and being the man or the woman of God, then it's going to be something to do with people. You're going to be, it's going to help people. It's going to bless people. It's going to touch people. It's, it's going to be working with people. See, God always calls us to people and His economy is completely relational. Like I said a few minutes ago, it's not about money and stuff and building greater buildings. That'll all go away one day. Now, if those things are vehicles to touch and bless more people and change more people's lives, then great. But the call is not to get a bigger bank account. It's to help people. Ephesians 1.18 says, don't go there, it's just one verse. I didn't give it to you. Don't panic. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling. Each one of you has a calling, a purpose, something that God has called you to do, a vision, a calling. So the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So, if you break that verse down and start looking up these different words and looking up because those were all, it's all Greek words and it was translated into English. So sometimes the meaning can get lost or we can just read over a verse like that. But 
your inheritance, that's the calling. The hope for your future is the calling that God has on your life of walking in that purpose and stuff. And that the very last part, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And the saints just equals people. Oh. So in the, in the saints or in people, God pours out his riches when we live in community. When we're connected to the people that we're supposed to be connected to. That's what that verse is saying. That we would understand, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened or open, that we would understand through the connections. This is what Tristan was just standing up here talking about. And it blesses our life and it changes us, but it's all because of different connections. And by us all being connected, he's been blessed by me and Jesse and Journey and Malachi and Zach. And he... And so many more that, I mean, you can't just stand here and name everybody in the church. But when you're connected and when you're doing life with people that you're supposed to be doing life with, then that's, that's the riches. See, the economy of God is all about relationships. Some of y'all have never seen God's riches poured out in your life. And it's because you don't realize that God's economy is completely relational. So like sitting like sitting with some of those pastors this week that I'm in really good relationship with and after those three days I'm in much better relationship with we were able to get vulnerable with each other and laugh so hard we cried and then there were some points that we were all just crying and I feel rich leaving there not because I have any more money in my wallet but because of the relationships you want to dream big get around somebody that's dreaming big you want to love better serve better than get around people that are doing it well and learn from them Let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians 3.20. Look what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. If you understand how big God is then you know he's able to do more than you could ask or think. Like scripture says that, says that, um, I think King James says it like, uh, he's able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. King James says that verse. It's probably familiar to you. The power that worketh in us us you see it's not the power that worketh in me because alone the power's not there there's power in unity there's power when we connect there's power when we come together it, it's not the power that worketh in Malachi or Zach or Canaan or Dan or Wayne and Peg are throwing me way off because they're in the wrong seats <laughs> It's the power that worketh in us collectively as we connect. Because that's what church is. 
And that was Jesus' prayer. And sometimes we get that confused because we think of the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That was Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. The Lord's prayer. But Jesus' prayer, what Jesus prayed when he got to pray that we have recorded was, Father, that they would be one. And that your people would come together. That people would look at them and know that they're my disciples by the way that they love each other. That's what Jesus prayed. Why? Because he knew to see great power that we would have to have unity. That we would have to come together. That's the way God set it up. Can't do it on your own. You'll never be as powerful by yourself. The power or the spirit, that's the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the oil that's inside of you, however you want to say it, that worketh in us, us as we connect. Not in me, not in you. Because you can't accomplish a God dream on your own. You can't. If you can accomplish it on your own, it might be a good dream or a good idea, but it's not a God one. And if you're trying to carry a God dream on your own and do everything, then you're going to get a spiritual hernia. It's not fun. Not cool. And I'm not praying for it. Well, I'll pray for it. I'm not. Yeah. You don't want to get a spiritual hernia. So stop trying to carry things that you weren't meant to carry. If you stay in your lane and do the things that only you can do, and other people do the things that they're supposed to do, that's how it's supposed to work. So we always, we, we've heard a lot of talk about legacy. Legacy always begins with a vision. In fact, vision creates legacy. Big vision, big legacy. Let me ask you a question. Will your dream show up in eternity? Like, what's your biggest goal or dream? If you got it, would it matter in 100 years that you got it or not? Would it help anybody? Would it change the world? Will, will it show up in heaven? Or is it just some selfish thing that would be poured out on you? Another way to ask it would be, how many people would it help? If you got the thing you're dreaming of, would it help anybody? Right. Would it bless the church or the body of Christ? Would it advance the kingdom? Would it, would it feed the homeless? Would it rescue victims? Would it what? What would it do? Or would it help you prop up your feet more? The difference in a legacy and a dynasty is a dynasty is all just how much can I get? Me, 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 me. I'm building a dynasty and it's all about me and all that I can get. And when I die, it's over. A legacy is how much can I leave for the ones coming up behind me or how much can I give? And as children of God, we're supposed to leave a legacy. We're supposed to be mindful and conscious of the ones coming up behind us, our kids and our grandkids and, and generations behind us, and, and that we would make the world a better place for them. We don't leave it worse than we found it. We're supposed to make it better. We're called to leave a legacy. So, a vision is the ability to see that which cannot be seen. Yeah, it's your imagination. It's 
It's you getting a vision of a better world that you wish to see. It's you getting a vision of a way you could help people. It's, it's God dropping it in, but it's the ability to see that which cannot be seen. You can close your eyes and imagine the world that you want to see, but then you have to open your eyes and do something about it. You have to say it to somebody. You have to live it out with your actions. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. So what you need is for other people to see it or hear it, to see what you're doing. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, and then they will connect to your vision. In fact, your vision will become the vision of many. You don't even have to have your own vision. You don't have to have some giant world-changing vision. You can connect to somebody else's vision. I suggest you connect to a vision that scares you. Why? Because it'll stretch you. It'll push you. We don't all have to have this huge world-changing vision. But some people live their life with no vision. I'm just going to try to get home, get through this day today, get home, watch a little TV, and get in the bed, and there's no vision for anything. I don't think that's good. They're not a part of anything bigger than themselves. Let's look at Proverbs 29, 18. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible, and I'm going to read it to you in King James. But it's just one verse. Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they're most blessed. Right, so when they get a vision and they see it, they're most blessed. Look, King James Version, you'll probably recognize this verse a lot more. Some of you could quote it. Where there is no vision, again, vision, that word vision, it's vision, purpose. It's like the call, the purpose on your life, the call where, where there's no vision, where you can't see God. The people perish. I think you know what the word perish means. Die. Have you ever laid down at night with an empty or a dead feeling in your chest, just laying there thinking, does it matter? Like, what did I, I did today? Did, did I make a difference? Did I help anybody? What's, what's my purpose? What's, what's the call? feel pretty beat up with no purpose or meaning or almost like you didn't get anywhere remember we talked about I guess it's been a couple months ago we talked about the bumper car syndrome where there's no finish line you know like bumper cars you're just going around and around and you're getting beat up and you're getting hurt and ran into and you're running into stuff and like you're not free of problems you're just not getting anywhere you're not accomplishing any goals. You're not, you don't feel fulfilled and satisfied. I mean, where if you're in a big bad wreck and you get injured, but then you win the race, it's worth it. But if you're just out there wrecking and getting injured and you're playing bumper cars and there, that's not how I want to live my life. Oh, around and around and around and around in circles and there's no purpose or goal or vision or finish line and I never win, I just get beat up. But that's how some people live life. And one day we bury them and talk about, yeah, they had some great times and some ups and downs and they got beat up and they healed and got beat up and healed and got beat up and healed and died. And that's fine, but there can be more to life than that. There'll still be trouble. You'll still have wrecks. But I want to get a vision so I can see a finish line. Remember Paul talked about run 
the race that's set before you. Run to win, the Message Bible says. And don't just be out there lollygagging around. Run to win. I stopped on perish. The people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. So law is, it's a Hebrew word. It was translated law. It means regulation, teaching, instruction, training. So he that keepeth the law, or you could say he that listens to the instruction he that listens to the teaching he that goes to training that's the word that was used there he that participates in the training happy is he the ball player that goes to practice has a better chance of winning He that hears the word, James said it like this, be a doer, not a hearer only. So we need to get a vision of the finish line. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about borrowing vessels. The widow woman and the the prophet told her to go borrow vessels, borrow pots and pitchers and vessels from all different people. So go borrow some vessels and then pour your oil, your talent, your anointing that you would pour it into that. But you go borrow somebody else's vessel, somebody else's idea, somebody else's vessel that you can pour your anointing into. So I'm telling you today that you can go find or borrow a vision if you don't have one. Connect to somebody that does. It Rather than just playing bumper cars, if you don't have a vision, find somebody that does. Find somebody that's helping people. Find somebody that's changing the world. Find somebody that has a vision and connect to them with your time, talent, treasure. Don't just spend your whole life not... Think about it. I mean, we see it. We just don't think of it in that way. Like, think of great visionaries from the past. Think of like uh, Martin Luther King. Has a great vision of a better world. Of a future of what more of what the world should look like. And then what? He shares his vision and his dream. And other people hear that and say, yeah, I believe in that. I'll connect with that vision. Hey, I'll give my time, my talents, my treasures to connect with that and make the world a better place. We don't need everybody to have a dream. We can all connect with his dream. The goal is, and I stole this from Pastor Bruce this week, what I'm about to say. The goal is for the moment to become a movement, not a monument. Okay, and so his point was that so many times in churches and and we'll have this great retreat or we'll have this awesome, powerful worship service where the Holy Spirit moves in power or makes these connections and things. And then the goal, the heart of the Father would be that we would take that and turn it into a movement that we would put some action to it that we wouldn't just hear that word that then we would take that word and apply it to our lives on Monday morning when we're at work right that it would it would become a movement but so many times we just set it up as a monument God you remember that Trace DS weekend I never felt that close to God in my life that's awesome and I'm glad that was such a good spiritual retreat but if you just set it up as a monument and it was this great thing that happened one day in your past who's that helping now 
How is that helping to propel you to your future and your purpose in God? It's not. It's just something cool that happened one day. Let's make the moments become movements. All right, so I want to look at this miracle that Jesus did in Mark 6, 34. And this miracle, I don't know why me and, me and Zach talked about this a couple weeks ago. And I was telling him that all growing up, I remember being in Sunday school and being in church and stuff. And everybody always talks about when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Everybody knows that story. Everybody knows that miracle. But nobody ever talks about when he fed the 4,000 people. Like, not long after, he fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. But nobody talks about that. So I want to look at both of those stories and look at, like, why he did these two miracles. And it's kind of a weird miracle. You know, like you're, you're, I hate to think of it like that, but it's almost like you're wasting a miracle. All right, they could have went and found something else to eat. You could have used that to heal a lame man or something. You know, like you, okay, let's look at it. And then we'll talk about it. I don't want to talk about it before we look at it. Verse, Mark 6, verse 34. And Jesus when he came out, saw much people, and he was moved with compassion. He was moved. That means he took action. It moved him. If you look at it in the Greek language, it compares this to the moving of bowels. Okay, I know that sounds kind of gross, but it's a moving that's followed by something happening. Compassion is sympathy with action. When you watch the starving kids on a commercial and you feel really bad for the starving kids and you shed a tear and then the commercial goes off and you get back to the football game, that's sympathy. Like you felt bad for those kids, but you didn't do anything. Compassion would be if you got that phone number and you called and you sponsored a couple of those kids. That's you putting action with sympathy. That's compassion. So... Jesus was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and they said, they calculated all the problems and everything that was wrong while he was teaching. They came to him and they said, hey, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Like you preached a long time, Jesus. It's way past time. We thought this would have been over by now. You're healing people. You're, you picture these guys talking to Jesus. Jesus, by the way, had to have people too. Like he didn't even do it on his own. Jesus, the God man, he, he had connections. And so they're coming to him saying, oh, well, it, it was way too long. We weren't supposed to be out here this long. Verse 36, send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. And he answered and he said unto them, give you them to eat. He said, you give them food. Well, I, imagine these guys, they're coming at him. I came at you to tell you a problem. And you tell me to give them something to eat? Give you them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? See, they start running the analytics on it. Well, there are 5,000 people here, and they all got wives and kids, and so we got approximately 20,000 people here. It'll be about 20 penny worth of bread. We don't have that much money. They started running the finances. When Jesus gave them a call or a vision of here's what we need to do next, they started figuring out how they couldn't afford it. 
and even gave Jesus the dollar sign. Hey, this we can, what, you want us to come up with that much money? We can't do that. And he said unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fish. All right, we're going to come back to that in a second. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in the ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he blessed it and he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And so they didn't count the women or children. That's where you come up with the, I mean, really, we don't know, but this could have been 20,000 or more. So they all ate and they had 12 baskets of leftover. So they had lots of people there. That's a big crowd. 5,000 men plus their wives and kids. They had lots of people, so they had a big problem. Remember I said when we started, more people, more problems. Bigger miracle needed. We got to solve this problem, Jesus. There's a lot of people, so it's a big problem. It's impossible. Now we're going to look at the miracle. It's only a couple verses, a few verses in, in Mark 8. It's Mark 8, 1, where Jesus does the same miracle again. It's like a repeat. And so I think that's maybe why some people just kind of overlook it. Well, let's just talk about the more famous feeding. And I mean, that's just a repeat, and it was actually for a thousand less. So whoopee, it was only 4,000 men and wives and kids in that one. That was probably only like 18,000 people. Big deal. Let's talk about the bigger one. Like, still a pretty big deal. So why did he do this? I, I can find several reasons from studying it and looking at it. I think, I think one and maybe the, one of the more obvious reasons is to let him know and let us know. Like if he did it once, he can do it again. So there's another group of people. Okay, then... And he'll come through again. Also, I think God wants us to know that he not only cares about the big things, the healing that you so desperately need, or the, you know, the president, or whatever these big things that you think need to happen to change the course of the world, but he also cares if you have groceries. He cared that they were hungry. He was moved with compassion. That's what started this whole miracle. And we're about to see that's what started both of the miracles. Exact same way. Look at just a couple pages over. Mark 8, 1. And in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and he said unto them, I have compassion. This is one of the only times we have recorded that Jesus said, I have compassion. Like we hear it said about Jesus in some other places, but this Jesus called the disciples together and said, Hey, y'all need to know that I have compassion on this group of people. It's going to be important in just a minute. I have compassion on this multitude, on the multitude, or this multitude, because they have now been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men? Where in the world will we get bread? Uh, here in this wilderness. One translation says here in this place. 
Right? So the first time they were worried about the money. Should we come up with with all this money and tons of money to feed this many people? And we don't have that much money, Jesus. And how would we even afford that or buy that? Now, this time, he's moved with compassion and he wants to feed all the people and he's telling them to feed them. And now the disciples are telling him, well, how are we going to do that here in this place? We're in the wilderness, so we can't feed them here. We can't feed them in this place. They're all worried about the place. Wrong place. And he asked them the exact same question that he asked them when they fed the 5,000. How many loaves have ye? Thanks for the excuses. How many loaves do you have? And they said seven. Oh, maybe they're learning a little bit because when we just read the other one about the 5,000, he said, how many loaves do you have? And they're like, I don't know. We'll have to go check. And it said, you remember we just read it. After they went and checked, they came back and said, hey, we found a little boy with five. We took it. (laughs) Here you go. Thank you, tough guy. Stole the kid's lunch. But this time, even though they were making excuses about the place they were in, apparently they had already done an inventory of the 4,000 people and knew that they had seven loaves of bread. Because when he asked, they, they didn't have to go check. They said seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and he broke and he gave it the exact same thing he did the first time. And he gave it to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. Verse 7 says, And they had a few small fish. When they had already gave out bread to everybody. And they had a few small fish. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. They said, all right, now everybody's got bread. And we found a few fish. I've never noticed that before. Like I've never noticed. And then it says, and then commanded to set them also before them. So they had already handed out the bread to everybody. I think they had a little couple fish they kept for themselves. We're going to make us fish sandwiches. You give all them some bread. Hey, Jesus, you want some of this? We got a couple fish. We also found these after they had already gave out the bread, you know. A couple fish. Jesus is like, what? Now, let me bless that too. Let's give that out to everybody else too. You know how long it takes 12 people to hand out fish to 18,000 people? It's going to take forever, man. We already took it two hours handing out bread already. Maybe you shouldn't have stuck the fish in your pocket, Peter. Now you're going to go hand them out fish. Bro, you can do this miracle where you can feed 18,000 people. Why can't you just do a miracle and make all their bellies be full? And then be nourished. And then we don't have to spend four hours handing it out. We can sit down and eat because we're tired and hungry too. I'm just thinking, you know, if I was a disciple... I've never noticed that they tried to keep a little fish for themselves. It was a few small fish. It's a few small fish. It didn't even tell how many. Jesus probably said, well, "What do y'all, y'all have fish? What's that smell? Peter? It's a few small fish. You know, we're going to put it with the bread. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets and they that had eaten were about four thousand and then he sent them away so in both miracles it was compassion that started it it was Jesus having compassion right and so it was compassion that started the whole thing And the way to the problem 
made the disciples ask wrong questions both times. See, the problem was so big and so impossible that they started asking wrong questions. You know, with the 5,000, they were asking, well, where are we going to get the money for that? When you think I'm rich? I don't have enough money to feed all these people. I can't do it. It was all about the money. The second one was all about the place. Where could we possibly find bread here in this place, in this wilderness, this, this place? But both times, the weight or the size of the problem caused them to ask wrong questions. And when you're asking the wrong questions... It always leads to worry and anxiety and focusing on the problem and focusing on why it can't happen and focusing on the negative and focusing on why what Jesus just told you to do can't work. They were asking the wrong questions. Wrong questions don't fix problems. They just lead to worry, which leads to more problems. That's why 1 Peter, it tells us to take all of your worry or anxiety, some translations say your cares, and to cast them or unload them on God because He cares for you. All of your questions and your fears and your cares and your anxiety, unload it, release it, let go of it. Take it to Him. And let it go. Or, or Jesus said to the disciples one time, take no thought for tomorrow. That take no thought, that's don't worry about. Don't fret and worry. Take no thought for tomorrow, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Y'all remember Jesus told this to the disciples? Like, stop worrying about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and all these, all these things that you're so worried about. He's telling the disciples, seek ye first the kingdom. If you'll seek the kingdom of God first, then all these things will be added unto you. You're going to have food. Your belly's going to get filled. You're going to have clothes to wear. Like, I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to give you the connections. Because if you're seeking the kingdom, then you're going to get connections to everything that you need. Back to the economy of relationships. So Jesus was telling the disciples there, stop wondering, stop asking the wrong questions. It's just leading to worry. Well, what are we going to wear? We're traveling around with this dude. How are we even making money? We don't have all we got's a little bit left in the purse. And he said, "Render to Caesar what Caesar's, and we got to pay taxes. And all we got's what we got out of that fish." And you know, they're and Jesus is telling them, "Guys, stop. Seek first the kingdom. Remember what's the most important thing, and then all the other stuff it'll it'll fall in line. It's it's okay." So what are wrong questions? Because there are some impossible things in my life and in our nation and, in, and to do with COVID and some questions that I feel like need to be answered and there's like so many things in so many different areas. So what are wrong questions? Things that are out of my control. All right, do what you can do and then let it go cast it on him the things that are out of my control money that I don't have man I got a lot of questions and worry and things about money that I don't have right things that are out of my control for me to sit here and worry whether Trump or Biden's going to get elected and if one or the other does what that'll look like and what things will change and yeah, I should vote and do my part, but then I can't control it. So for me to sit here and worry about it and steal joy from my family and steal time from you because I'm worried about things I can't control, that's sin. For me to fall into depression and anxiety because I'm worried about things that, that's what Jesus was talking about. 
a place or a location that I am. You know, that was the other thing that the disciples were worried about with the 4,000 was where they were, the location. Jesus asked the same question both times. How many loaves do you have? Stop telling me why you can't do what I just asked you to do. Tell me what you do have. Like, what are the resources that you do have? What's the talent that you do have? What is it that's in your hand? I feel like so many times we, we spend our whole entire prayer life telling God what we don't have or what we need Him to give us. And, and we see this example from Jesus. He's trying to teach the disciples, look for what you do have. Well, it's still not enough. I'm going to bless it. But I need you to change your focus and start looking at what you do have and not telling me everything you don't have. Because that's doubt. See, that allows, that opens the door for fear and doubt. That chokes faith out. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, start looking for what you do have. How many loaves do you have? See, Jesus' question shifts your focus From what you have instead of what you don't. So thought I'd bring this because you know when I was studying this message when I got up to leave the house today, I said, how many loaves do you have? I, a little better than half for one at the house. But this is the loaf that I have enough for about two sandwiches each me and the three boys and Jesse but this is what I have now you can sit there and judge what I have oh my lord he eats that old white bread doesn't he know that has dye in it that's like eating bleach tabs great value that's trash he should get whole grain no, you're not called to judge my loaf. He asked you what loaf you have. How many loaves do you have? This is my loaf. This is what life's given me. <laughs> and it feels kind of stale. I might feed it to the pigs. That's my loaf. You know what I'm required to do? Give what I have. God doesn't call me to give stuff that I don't have because I can't. Right? If you come up to me after service and you ask me to borrow $5, then I'll think about it. And Well, actually, I don't have $5 on me, but I could probably get it out of that envelope I gave to Jesse and let you borrow it if you needed $5. But if you come up to me after the service and you ask me to borrow a million dollars, I'm going to say, nope. I don't have it. I don't have access to it. I don't even have a way I can get it for you. God doesn't ask you for things that you don't have. What would be his point in that as a loving father? What, to just break you down and make you feel like you're not enough? Loving father wouldn't do that. I, don't, I wouldn't go to Sky or Malachi or Titus and demand from them something that I know they don't have. I would be a bad father if I did that. Your heavenly father doesn't do that to you. And this idea that we need to get more, you know, I got to make more money or I've got to get more educated or and nothing's wrong with, with growing and bettering yourself and all those things. But God says, how many loaves do you have right now? Change the way you look at it. Take an inventory. What are you good at? What do you have? And then what? They had to give it to Jesus. So he asked you what you have, and then he says, give it to me. Notice, this is another thing I noticed about both of these stories that I haven't noticed in the past. Jesus didn't even ask for fish. 
Jesus just asked for bread in both times. And the first time, they found the boy that had the five loaves and the fish. Second time, they tried to hide the fish. But either way, Jesus never even asked for fish. But when they changed their focus from why it wasn't going to work and why they, what they didn't have, when Jesus made them change their focus to what do you have that you could give, they found extra that they didn't even know they had. So they found fish even more than what Jesus asked for. But it still wasn't enough to feed 5,000 or 4,000 or 20,000 or however many. It still wasn't near enough and they gave it to Jesus. And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it back to the disciples. Wait a minute. You just asked me, how many loaves did I have? I said, I got one loaf. You said, will you give it to me? I said, yeah, here's my loaf. Here's my talent. Here's my money. Here's my whatever it is that you have. And he says, will you give it to, you, to me? Will you release it to me? And you do. And then what? God blesses it and he gave it back to him. And it still wasn't enough. It's frustrating. Like, Cool. It's still five. See, I want when I give something to God and He blesses it, then I want it to be wow, awesome. That'll do the job. No, that's not how it works. He blesses it and He gives it back to you. Why? Because now there's something for you to do. What we talked about before at the beginning of the message. You got a job to do. You got to walk it out. And this was a long job. For 12 people to feed 20,000 people sitting in groups of 50 and 100, to walk around handing out food to that many people, you know how long that would take? A very long time. And as they obeyed and walked in faith and believed what Jesus told them, it multiplied. So something that started with compassion and they changed their focus to what they do have and then they gave it away. It was given back to them and then was the walking out of the obedience and in the obedience is when they saw the multiplication. multiplication. In the obedience. Some of us miss the multiplication because well, after he blessed it, it's still not enough. Because then we don't step. We don't walk it out. To do a miracle, to do something big, to change the world. We got to walk it out. We've got to turn it into a, a movement. Not just a monument of one time when I got blessed. And I took it and did something with it. Started walking it out. The last thing about these two different miracles and, and what really separates them is if you go do some, some studying and a little bit of digging, not even much digging, you can look it up pretty easy. But the feeding of the 5,000, remember where they were all worried about the money that they couldn't afford it? It was in Jewish territory and it was to a Jewish audience. It was 5,000 Jews. And so the disciples would think these are our people. So of course we want to feed them and they're our people and we just have to figure out the money. The others, the second time it was done was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the Gentile country near the Samaritans. Jews were very prejudiced towards the people that were gathered at the feeding of the 4,000. In fact, they would go miles out of the way just to avoid them, just to not even have contact or fellowship with these people. Oh, now I'm seeing why they hid the fish on this one. Because they had some prejudice. And Jesus is trying to show them, no, the bread is for everyone. The bread's not just for people that look and think and act like you. The bread is for people that you don't like too. Just as much as for them. 
You're trying to hide fish in your pocket. No, go give them the fish too. Because they deserve it too. Jesus was teaching the disciples a very valuable lesson here. That I didn't just come for Israel. I came for all people. And when I ask you to give me your loaves, you don't get to choose who you give it to. You don't get to choose who it blesses. When you're walking in purpose and when you get a vision and a call, it's not going to be to just people that look like you, just people that believe like you, just people that act the way you think they ought to act. You give the bread. So why didn't Jesus just make their bellies full? And that's why they were complaining about this place. Yeah, where could we get bread in this place? How could we find bread around here? The first time with the Jews, it was about the money. That time they were complaining about where it was, remember? Yeah. Because we don't like these people. And I think it's pretty cool of Jesus that he made them go to each person. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And look them in the eyes. And see their faces. And see that they were people. And that they were grateful. And to hear their stories. And as they handed out bread and fish. To hear the little kids laughing. And their mama telling them to sit back down. And to. What happened? Jesus made them get involved in the story. He didn't just wave a magic wand and say, be filled. He wanted them to get into people's lives. When you step out into purpose, and when you give your loaf, and when you give that fish that you tried to hide just for you, that God told you to give, you're going to get involved people's stories and you're going to be fulfilled and you're going to see God do big things in your life last scripture I had I'll read it to you in the message Bible it's Hebrews 3 verse 1 so my dear Christian friends companions in following this call to the heights take a good hard look at Jesus he's the centerpiece of everything we believe faithful in everything God gave him to do Moses was also faithful but Jesus gets far more honor a builder is more valuable than a building any day every house has a builder but the builder behind them all is God. Moses did a good job in God's house, but it was all servant work, getting things ready for what was to come. Christ as son is in charge of the whole house. He's in charge of the house, his way. This house, remember? In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Know you not that you are the temple of the living God? You see, after the cross, we became the house. And He's in charge of the house. How many loaves do you have? Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. He's the bread. So when he gives back the blessed bread, we have to walk it out. We have to give it out. Or you could say it this way, we have to invest in the call. It's not enough to just get a vision, a dream. You've got to invest. You've got to pour into it. You've got to give of yourself. What if I don't feel like it? What if I don't like the people that he's called me to minister to? What if I don't want to give bread to them? 
What if I don't feel like they deserve fish? What if I can't figure out how I'm going to afford it? See, you're asking the wrong questions, just like the disciples were. It's wrong questions that lead to worry and ultimately prove that you don't trust God. How many loaves do you have? Now, will you invest? Will you give? Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you can use these these old stories and scriptures and, and that we can apply them to our lives today. God, we don't want to just build up some selfish dynasty that's all about us and and one day when we're gone, nobody will even remember that we were here. But God, we want to we leave a legacy. We want to make the world a better place with less hate and more love. We want to look like you. So God, forgive us for choosing worry and fear and anxiety. Forgive us for, for asking the wrong questions. And help us to shift our focus to what do we have. God, today we give it to you. We ask you to bless it. And we'll be faithful to give it out. God, we love you. Thanks for working with us. Thanks for growing us up. In Jesus' name. Amen.